and he was like, the furniture game is hard. And I was like, it is hard. You know, there's a lot of competition for beautiful furniture. And so we pivoted sort of away from that towards cabinetry because it's more lucrative. I would have to build a lot of chairs to equal a kitchen, is what I would say. Hello and welcome to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson, the show that talks about the business behind the furniture business. On this episode, I sit down with Paula King, co-owner of the furniture company Rex Hill Studio. Paula and her husband Justin started their company back in 2009, and since then, they've been steadily growing their business. Now, with five employees, a portfolio full of breathtaking projects, and a long line of happy clients, Paula takes us through the company's story of growth and their secrets to success, while looking back from where they came, but also forward to where they're going. So follow along as we talk about small town versus big city clients, making a productive work environment for your team, the importance of professional and personal relationships, and much more. So let's start the episode and hear about Paula's journey in her own words. I always like to start our story with Justin had a car from his aunt, Tooney. It was this like old Buick. And he was, he, this car had died and he sold it for $500. And he's like, I'm going to, um, I think I'm going to buy a table saw so I can build my own art frames. And I was like, okay, that sounds great. So he sold the car, bought this folding table saw. And he started building frames and then was like, what else can I do with this thing? And he made the ugliest box I've ever seen in my entire life. It was like pine from Home Depot and it had like reverse dovetails. Like he had totally, he didn't know what he was doing. And he was so proud. He came up from our basement with this box. It was like, look what I made. And I was like, wow, that's great. So anyway, cut to, he decides, you know, he keeps going and going. And then he went back to school for uh, furniture design at the Oregon College of Art and Craft out in Portland, Oregon. And we, I myself come from fourth generation furniture makers, but it was not on my radar at all. Um, It wasn't something that I really thought much about. I had a job of many different paths. I did bookkeeping. I was a massage therapist. I did all sorts of things. And he said, I want to start a furniture company. And I had sort of all the skills to assist him in building a business. And we decided we lived out in Portland and we were going to start it out there, but we decided to move back east. One of the reasons being is that the people that we knew in uh, Oregon that were making Furniture were traveling all the way to San Francisco from Portland to sell their furniture because there's just not that like corridor of money that there is um, on the East Coast. But and also I'm from New Jersey. We wanted to have kids, wanted to be closer to home. So but one of the big reasons of moving really was to start this business. It was sort of, you know, sort of slow and steady. We didn't really start it right away. We had kids. He was working for a cabinet maker was sort of how he started here on the east coast and then i think we got our very first job was with the designer that we still work with all the time she's a good friend of ours her name is liz strianese and there was this new restaurant and hotel being built here in beacon where we live or she asked justin she's like can you make me these stools for this bar and so he was like uh yeah and we had talked about we want to start this business 
And it's sort of just, we're like, I guess this is our first job. You know, you can still go sit on the stools if you come to Beacon and go to the bar, which is great. And so he started that on the side, was working part-time for other people, renting space, sharing space, trying to figure it out. And then eventually we started getting small jobs and decided to rent a space where we are now, which is in the old Beacon High School. So yeah, we had this one room in the high school and then eventually, you know, we're sharing with someone else. And um, we ended up partnering with somebody else who did big millwork projects in the city. He worked at a shop in Brooklyn that closed and he was looking for someone to help build his work. He didn't want to have his own shop. He had these jobs that needed to be installed. And so we sort of expanded our business with him because he was, we were fabricating for someone else. He was working with these big architects and stuff. And it allowed us to take on more space across the hall in this building. We're in the old uh, wood shop also, which is fun. So it says wood shop on the door and metal shop. Um, And so we've sort of grown from there and keep taking on more and more space. Your company started around the same time that my company started. So I have a, a feeling of the the time that you were building things in and we're both in New York. And so there's there's definitely similarities there. So I understand your story and I understand your start. Starting back in 2008, 2009, like you did and going up to today, what have you seen as the biggest change in the furniture industry? You know, it's so hard for me to say. Um, We actually don't make as much furniture as we do cabinetry. We make a lot of custom, not a lot, I should say. We, We like to keep a few custom pieces in the running, but we don't make as much. But I do think that there's sort of this fast design that happens. You know, there's all these shows on television or certainly Instagram. There's a lot of furniture made in China. And, you know, I think, and maybe this was always happening, but we still come across it, is that there's a want for things to be done quickly, cheaply. Um, I think people are still surprised at the sticker cost of what a custom piece is, you know. That's definitely the case. There's a lot of places that can produce things either overseas or even in America that are just factories and they're just turning it out. And that is a type of furniture that some people gravitate towards. And it could be because of the price tag. It could be because of it's getting out there in media more and people are seeing it. But there is also the other type of company, which is your type of company and a lot of companies out there that are more slow furniture and not slow furniture as in your lead times are way too long. Slow furniture is in there's there's a a personal touch in it. There's the ability for customization. There's there's a little bit more under the hood than just a factory. It's a different type of furniture. There's not one that's better than the other, but it is different. So for you doing that, knowing that your prices are probably going to be higher than, say, a factory. What goes into your pricing when you're dealing with a client and they're coming to you and you know right off the bat that you're not going to win on price, but you have to win on something else, quality or salesmanship or just the personal touch? So what what does that conversation look like with a client and how do you figure out pricing to work in a structure 
like the world is today? You know, certain things that we price, we've sort of figured out, especially because we do cabinetry, is a price per linear foot. And there's a range based on the complexity of the work. With furniture, we usually try and figure out time and materials. And it's always hard when you're doing custom because you just don't know how long it's going to take. And you have your best guess, but every piece is a little bit different. And so I think that there's there's the unknown, you know, and you're trying to be honest. Obviously, we're not trying to rip people off in any way, but you're trying to also, you know, not lose money on the job and make it worth your while. So usually if we have a piece like that, we'll come in on time and materials. I think that I've also gotten, and maybe this is also because of the age of our business, more comfortable with saying no. So if someone is asking for something that I just can't offer, I'm okay to just let it go. And so there's a sort of like need to chase. In the beginning, I think, and not to say that we're not still like, I I hate the word hungry, but you know, like hungry for work. But um, I think over time, we've been able to sort of be a little bit more selective about the type of work that we take on, you know, that makes it worth our while. Yeah, I think that's something we always, we are certainly pride ourselves on our quality of work. And it will be beautiful and perfect and as perfect as these things go, you know, it's well-crafted. The wood selection will be beautiful and thoughtful. We do try, we have really good relationships with our clients. Um, I always like to make a connection with people, even for small jobs. I think it's important. Um, They're trusting us and giving us a sum of money. And so I want them to feel comfortable with that process. And I'm usually the point of contact and make myself pretty available to them. So, yeah, I think we do offer a good customer service experience. Let's talk about client relationships for a little bit, because that's really what you're growing your business on those repeat clients or designers or even if they're not repeating they're giving your information to somebody else in a word of mouth referral so let's talk about how you're starting those relationships and also maintaining those relationships even with people who you might not be working on a project with right now, but to stay on their radar. So when they do have something, you're top of mind. Yeah. Um, you know, in the beginning when you're starting, it's so daunting and hard to make those first initial connections. And in the beginning, we would do all sorts of outreach. We sent people like these clipboards with some imagery that we had put together and, really tried to focus locally on people who are close by us um, through emails and sending postcards, brochures. We always felt in the beginning that things that were tactile made more sense than just email blasts and things like that. And now it's different as having sort of had time behind us and a lot of different relationships that we've maintained. And majority of our work now is referral-based. And I think that we've really nurtured these relationships because they're so important to building a business and being in business. So, and especially with designers and architects who are repeat clients, you know, I think you have somebody who's going to continue to create and generate work. So, you know, sometimes Christmas will send a gift or a card. I try and, you know, stay in touch. Sometimes we'll just reach out and say hello via email. Um, We just instituted a newsletter blast which 
I always was so resistant to, I'm like, nobody reads these email newsletters. I don't know. But I do think actually it's good. Um, you can see who's opened it, you know, on the other side, which is a little weird, but it, it does give you sort of a metric to see maybe who's looked at you more than once. A little clue, perhaps you could reach out to them as well. And um, so, yeah, so I think just kind of staying in touch, being friendly. Um, I mean, I feel like we've developed almost friendships with certain uh, designers and architects. So I think being authentic is really important. You know, I'm not like a sales, sales person, sales person, if that makes sense. Having a great relationship with designers is obviously a great way to continue working with them and becoming friendly with them and friends is taking that a step further and really cementing that relationship. But there is also a business aspect of it. So how do you deal with the concept of being friends with these people, knowing them for a while and having a relationship beyond just a business and client relationship, but also knowing that you need to make money off of these jobs. How do you think about that when you're dealing with people who you've had a relationship with for a while? Um, I really think it's a sense of authenticity, like a real, you know, like a genuine interest in somebody and a connection. I think, again, we all like work in these little islands. And then when you work with people in the industry, you're able to have shared experiences. Sometimes jobs don't work out and there's no hard feelings. You know, I think that's something that we've learned too. You know, you, of course you want all the jobs, but that's just not the way it works. Um, and there's enough work for everybody to go around. So sometimes even with those people we have close connections with, the job doesn't go through, but we still maintain relationships. So it's like a professional friendship, um, which is has a different a different feeling overall. Um, but I think it's mutually beneficial, you know, because they know that we're a partner they can rely on, who's going to deliver service, who's going to take care of their clients. I think that's really important too, knowing that, you know, we're going to be professional, do what we say, deliver a beautiful product. And, you know, they trust that they can continually ask us to do work for them. And that's really good. You said there's enough work to go around and it's a big industry. There's a lot of houses out there. There's a lot of commercial spaces. A lot of people need furniture. So there is a lot of business out there. But you also, and I'll bring this back to the beginning, said when you were in Portland, you saw that people were going somewhere else. They were going from Portland to San Francisco and that's where the money was. And you moved back to the East Coast because there was less of that delineation between having to go somewhere. But you are also in upstate New York, and that's very close to New York City. And being in a, a smaller market, but being so close to a larger market, there are a lot of people who are closer to big cities and are debating if they want to sell to the big cities or sell in their area. For you, what has been the thought in your mind of pitching to a big city or keeping it where you are local? We are really happy to never have to work in New York City ever again, if I could avoid it. And I think the reason is, and again, you know, we really pivoted from doing furniture to cabinetry and for a variety of reasons. 
I do think that the furniture game, I think actually it was Asher Israelo who I'm sure you remember makes these beautiful tables. He was like so talented. And I had met him at one of these shows and he was like, the furniture game is hard. And I was like, it is hard. You know, there's a lot of competition for beautiful furniture. And so we pivoted sort of away from that towards cabinetry because it's more steady. It's more, for us, more lucrative. I would have to build a lot of chairs to equal a kitchen, is what I would say. And so, you know, there's sort of a, for us, the sort of economic piece of it. So to that end, we don't, we have a lot of people moving up from the city to the Hudson Valley. And in fact, I think I just heard there's a new HGTV show about this, which I'm like not very excited about, but you know, there's a lot of second homes of people leaving or uh, during COVID especially, but even before that, um, sort of this migration, you know, out of the city for the weekends. And so there, there is more money up here than there was even, you know, 15 years ago. Um, and so that shift has really allowed us to stay close to home, which I'm really grateful. And we always say, like, if we have to, we can go south, but I do turn down work in the city for cabinetry, I should say, not for furniture, but yeah. We've talked about relationships on this episode already, about business relationships, and I want to keep it with relationships, and it is a business relationship, but it's also a personal relationship. It's how you both work together on a daily basis in a business and then also on the personal level and how you can balance what is work and what is life, or is there a balance between work and life? Oh, yeah, that's a big question. We definitely have learned a lot about communication. And it has not always been easy. And there are days where it's still not easy. But we definitely um, have really strong boundaries about when and where we can talk about work versus home being married. So there's usually a cutoff in the evening where one of us says, I don't want to talk about work anymore. And it's a full drop. So there's no, the whatever it is can be tabled until the next morning when it's work time. You know, in the beginning, it was harder. That line got blurred a lot more. And we've just gotten really good at being able to say when, when we're done. It's a lot to navigate, but also it gives us a lot of, a lot of strength because we do balance each other out. Um, I think, you know, we both have strengths we bring to the table and we can rely on each other for those things. Um, so there's a natural sort of coalescence of information that you can get from us. But yeah, it's, it, it's been, it's been a journey working together for sure. I don't want to be accused of following a theme too much, but if we can stay on the relationships and go from client relationships to personal relationships to workplace relationships, because it's not just both of you. You have five employees that you're working with on a daily basis as well, and you can't control everyone. You can't be micromanaging everyone. So how have you set up your employees in your shop to make sure that everybody's doing their job, getting things done? but you don't have to be on top of everybody for every single hour of the day. I definitely think that that's Justin's forte of managing the work, the wood shop. I definitely do sort of client communications, uh, design work, um, and he does design work as well. But, you know, as far as the actual woodworking elements, so he is the one, you know, that he can really foresee the sort of, 
the steps needed to make something happen and then break those down for people. And, you know, we have maintained and we really try to maintain a really healthy work environment. Our oldest employee has been with us for seven years. We have one guy with us for six. Another one's about to have a four-year anniversary. And I think what is important about that is that we want it to be a good place to work. I want people to show up and feel like they're going to have a, you know, it's it's work, it's a job, but it should feel like it's a good time. And most importantly, I think what we try and do is keep the stress level down. I think Justin and I absorb a lot of the client stress because when people on the shop floor are told to do it faster, I mean, it, there's a certain speed that's needed, but any sort of level of stress that's translated, I think, ends up in bad work. You know, no one does better when you're told to like hurry up and do it, you know. And so I think that we we try and do a lot of planning about, you know, sort of expectations about when we think things should be done. And then that's translated. You know, our staff is just so talented. These guys can do things that just blow my mind on a regular basis. And so when they're given a set of plans and are just, they can go with it and they sit down with them and then they formulate questions and then they'll ask questions. So there's a lot of communication that happens throughout a job, you know, back and forth. Just setting, I think setting reasonable goals is really important, obviously, too, to try and stay on track. Well, both sides of the furniture business are important, the building and the business side, the back end, the office side, and the design, which you're taking control of, is where it all starts. It's where the client's imagination actually hits the paper. And if that parts off, then no matter how well it's built, they're not going to be happy with what is delivered to their home. So when you are dealing with a client and you're talking on the design side, how does that process go? Yes, there is a lot of resources out there that when you started were not available. There's a lot of things that people can copy from the internet and videos and magazines and, and all that. But that might that might only scratch the surface of what they want it to look like. So how are you pulling that design out of a client for a custom piece to make sure when it shows up in their house after months of work and thousands and thousands of dollars, they're going to be happy with what they're seeing? Um, it's such a good question. I think that we, there's a few things about that. I think one of which is we draw everything out ahead of time in SketchUp. And that is so key because whatever we draw is what gets translated to shop drawings is what the guys are going to build. And we do not build anything unless a client has signed a drawing and says, that's what I want. Those dimensions are right. The angles are right. All of it. And so I think it takes a lot of, you're seeing an actual visual sort of representation. Um, and we use that as well to then go back and forth and make revisions. It's much easier to revise something, you know, on a computer program than it is in wood thereafter. So, um, so we go through, and then we also will provide samples if needed. Is it a white oak with an oil or is it sprayed? What does that look like texturally? And so with those pieces in place, um, it sort of takes a lot of the guesswork out. Justin um, taught himself V-Ray, which is this photorealistic plugin for SketchUp. And that's even been even more valuable for us because it helps us see it as well with, you know, makes it more 
realistic than the cartoon version of SketchUp. It takes even more of the guesswork out of what someone's getting. Um, as far as the initial sort of design process goes, I think it's really a conversation with a client. I often ask people to start Pinterest boards, especially when it's just when I'm working directly with clients, they'll say, oh, but none of it makes any sense. You know, I have this board and I have these things. And I always say, don't worry, it'll make sense to me because I always see a theme, you know, I'm like, oh, okay, they're attracted to this light color or there's usually some sort of thread within those boards that I can sort of take out from there. Some clients are really clear about what they want and others aren't. And so I think having really in-depth conversations, I asked them about how they want it to feel, which again, I think this comes a little bit from my, I have a background in psychology for my undergrad and then I was a massage therapist. And so I think listening to people was always a really big piece of the kind of work I've done before. And so And I also had children that were toddlers. And usually when a toddler is asking a question, you just repeat it back to them. You know, they say like, I want some water. And you're like, did you want some water? And you're sort of like mirroring back what people are saying, you know, and they usually are saying exactly what they want. They just don't even know it. So I think taking those sorts of, you know, really listening, writing it all down, getting visuals from the client about which way they're leaning helps us at least. So our first draft in SketchUp is pretty close approximation to what they've said they wanted. You are fourth generation in this industry. So even before you started, back when you were doing other jobs, you still had this in your blood. And then you sold that car and started down your furniture journey. And it's taken you to where you are today, a successful business that's been around for many, many years with employees and a long list of happy clients. So you know this industry. For people who might be just getting into it, they like the idea of having a furniture company, but they don't know where to go with that. Or for people who have been around for a while like you have, but feel like their business could be doing better. What type of advice would you share with those people that you've learned over the years that has helped you move your business from just starting out to the success that it is today? I think really being flexible is so important. You know, you have this idea of what it should look like in your mind and kind of keeping that at heart. You know, your mission statement overall is an important sort of piece and ethos of your business. But In the very beginning, we did a lot of pivoting. You know, we were making boxes and we made small objects and we did different types of shows. We did craft fairs, we did design shows, and we were sort of, I think, looking back on it, seeing what would stick on the wall, you know, just putting it all kind of out there and grateful for the opportunities as they came. And I think that 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 would be my advice was just to be really flexible because you just don't know what kind of work. And the end is going to feed you and feed your business. I hear what you're saying. And I appreciate you sharing that advice and and all the rest of the advice that you've shared throughout this episode. So thank you very much. And it was a pleasure speaking with you. And I wish you all the success in your business. Thank you, Ethan. I hope that, you know, we can see each other on the floor of some trade show somewhere. Sounds good to me. Thank you so much for listening to the show. If you liked what you heard and you got value out of it, please think about leaving a review and subscribing wherever you listen. 
To learn more about the series, please visit buildingafurniturebrand.com and feel free to reach out anytime with questions or guest suggestions to hello at buildingafurniturebrand.com. You can find me at The Build with Ethan on Instagram. Hope you enjoyed the show and can't wait to bring you the next one.